In today's episode, we open our Bibles to Esther chapter 4. Mordecai reacts to Haman's deadly plan to destroy all the Jews. He turns to Queen Esther, and he begs her to use her status to plead for her people before the king. But with a strict law forbidding anyone, including the queen, from approaching the king without being summoned, Esther is faced with a daunting decision. She sends word to Mordecai for all the Jews to fast as she contemplates her next move. Mordecai encourages her, Who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Good morning and blessed Epiphany Tide. Today is Tuesday, January 31st, and you're listening to Thy Strong Word. Each weekday morning, we explore the Holy Scriptures through which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. Thy Strong Word is brought to you in part by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. If you're looking for a guest speaker at your congregation, the good people over at the Lutheran Heritage Foundation are happy to send someone to tell you all about their publishing and translating work. Give them a call or learn more at lhfmissions.org. Well, we're moving right along in our study of Esther, and today, to help us discover what God has to teach us in chapter 4, is my guest, the Reverend Dr. Vernon Wendt, pastor of Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lexington, Kentucky, and missionary at large in Richmond, Kentucky. Good morning, Pastor Wendt. How are things for you and the saints you serve there in Kentucky? How are things going? Good, good. We're, we're uh, getting ready for the Lent season. We're almost there, so we're getting through Epiphany, and uh so we're excited about uh, things going on, and my students are going to Indiana University for a weekend with uh, Reverend Wichelt Wilmer, um hosting a, a regional conference for LCMSU group. So we're things are going on. So we're, we're things are going, be, yeah. That's yeah. the only way they can go. Twenty-two days yeah, till Lent, so it, it'll come up. And flus and <laughs> different things going on, sure. Wow, wow. Yeah, just it's uh, and that's neat that they're going to go explore the or are they going just for this event or are they also going to check yeah, out maybe the, going uh, to university? Friday, Saturday. Yeah, okay. so it allows me okay. to be there too with the students. And then, uh, nice. Uh, Dr. Peppercorn's going to be giving our, our guest speaker. Okay, so. good, good. Well, I tell you what, why don't uh, we get started today though? But I'd like to invite you to begin our time together in prayer. Sure. I'm going to uh, pray. Uh, I was looking for an appropriate prayer for this devo- uh, study, and I found uh, in our Lutheran Service book at a suicide. It doesn't mention a suicide, but it's often a time where people are wondering, where is God, which is appropriate for today's lesson. So uh, let's begin. Merciful Father, how mysterious are your judgments and your will beyond understanding. We are troubled, but not crushed, sometimes in doubt, but never in despair, dejected, but not destroyed. Your grace in Christ is all we need, for your power is greatest when we are weak. In these dark hours, strengthen us by your word and sacrament, and grant us your abiding presence in the midst of what we cannot understand. Take into your care those whose hearts are heavy with sorrow and grief, and lead them to look to you for confidence and strength as they face the future. Sustain them with your comforting love, and finally receive them and us into glory. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, we have, uh, you know, not very many verses to cover. In fact, it's only, I think, about 17 or something like that. But the plot thickens as we go through Esther, which is just this amazing book of um, of all kinds of, of irony and intrigue and, and pride and fall 
and salvation and redemption. Uh, but uh, before we start to dig into chapter four, maybe you want to catch us up for those who haven't been uh, tuning in as regularly as they usually do. Sure. Well, um, there's this king, make sure I pronounce this right, Ahasuerus. He was a very prideful king and kind of a partier. He's a the Persian king and um, descendant of Darius. And uh, he's very boastful about his wealth. And he uh, actually uh, says um, he wants his uh, beloved wife, Vashti, his beautiful wife, to, to parade in front of all his uh, guests. And she refuses to be ogled at. And so he dismisses her as the queen. And at the same time, makes this edict that everybody, you know, kind of like it. Every home should have the, the head of the husband, every should listen to the husband, and they should speak his language. And um, so very, very uh, direct. And then uh, he says, okay, I'm going to have a, a beauty contest uh, for the next queen. And uh, Esther is a beautiful young lady, and she actually wins this contest. And he doesn't know that she's Jewish. He's going to find out till later on. Um, and then uh, so Esther is the queen. And now uh, comes that uh, his servant, Haman, is very upset that uh, Mordecai, who is uh, Esther's relative, uh, cousin or second cousin, also adopted her, as, uh, as, uh, took her in as a child. So kind of a stepfather at the same time. And uh, Mordecai refused to bow down to Haman. And it's a very big insult to Haman. So Haman uh, gets... Uh, the king to uh, make an edict that he's going to wipe out all the Jews. And Haman hears this, and now we're kind of at this chapter. And unbeknownst uh, earlier, uh, it came up, and this will be mentioned later on, that uh, Ashley Mordecai saved Haman's life by uh, finding word that so many people wanted to kill him. And that was written down in the Chronicles, and it'll come up later on. So um, it's because uh, yeah. of the plot. Yes, yeah, the plot is thickening, and uh, there's Esther as the queen, and um, right now, actually, Mordecai is telling her to hide her Jewishness. And in this chapter, he's telling her, don't hide your Jewishness. So it's a very interesting plot. Yeah. Well, I, it is It is so fascinating because, you know, King Ahasuerus, that's how you pronounce his name. I had Thank to practice you. a lot. <laughs> no wonder, no wonder that most people just call him Xerxes, which is his yeah, Greek yeah, name. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. But uh, the king of Heshawaras, he uh, makes Haman like the prime minister over all the officials. And, and Mordecai is like this sort of lowly official. Whatever his job is, it takes him to the town gate a lot. That's where he normally is and where you can find him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and he just won't bow down. He won't bow down to, uh, to Haman. He won't uh, show him honor or deference. Now, what I found interesting, which hasn't been brought up yet, is that is he doing this because he's very pious and, you know, and he's as a Jew isn't going to bow down to Haman? Well, probably not. They certainly showed deference and honor to kings, even though they were uh, faithful to Yahweh. Or is he being a little prideful too, right? Here's a guy who the author in uh, of Esther describes as a Haggagite, you know? So there's this guy who's, you know, the descendant of the enemy of the Jews, uh, then there's some debate on whether or not he actually is, and maybe they're just calling him that as a as a derogatory term. But regardless, yesterday's episode was called uh, "That Escalated Quickly" because it did. It's just his 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 Haman that is his pride is hurt. 
He has all these honors, which we're going to see even in this chapter. He has all these honors, and there's this one guy who doesn't like him, which is going to happen, and he just can't stand it. He cannot stand it. And as you said, he got the king to declare that uh, all the Jews are going to be slaughtered, annihilated, because this one guy's ego was hurt. So when we find ourselves today, Mordecai is appealing to the Jewish queen um, to help her people, and I guess we'll, we'll check that out. Um, yeah. To get started, I just want to read the first three verses. So that's just going to just get mm-hmm. us a little bit into the chapter, give us something to chew on for a second. So I'll do that now. This is going to be chapter 4 of Esther from the English Standard Version. When Mordecai learned all that had been done, Mordecai tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes, and he went out into the midst of the city, and he cried out with a loud and bitter cry, and he went up to the entrance of the king's gate, for no one was allowed to enter the king's gate clothed in sackcloth, and in every province wherever the king's command and his decree reached, there was great mourning among the Jews, with fasting and weeping and lamenting, and many of them lay in sackcloth and ashes. So we have this very visceral reaction. I mean, it makes sense, of course, right? You, know, you, you and all the people who are ethnically related to you are going to be slaughtered. Uh, I, I just, I wonder if Mordecai, this is a question to you, I wonder if Mordecai felt a little responsible for this. It's not as though he is going to make it up to Haman and go bow down or anything to try to make it up, but at the same time, this, it, while it's all Haman's fault, Mordecai certainly recognizes that he was the seed that sort of started this. Yeah, it's a good possibility, and um, for sure. I mean, he, he's he's openly about it. He's, you know, this is going to come up later on when Esther's sending him festival clothes because this this is a direct violation of the law in Persia. You're not supposed to wear mourning clothes in the king's gate there um, with flat sackcloth, and uh, you're not supposed to enter the gates with signs of mourning at all, unlike you know, our Lord, who we can go to his throne anytime. <laughs> but rejoicing and sackcloth and ashes and the whole thing. Uh, but in this case, um, it's kind of kind of reminds me a little bit when I served in um, I served in South Korea, but North Korea, whatever the dear general, dear leader, whatever they wanted, they they got by the people. And um, it's very kind of a dictatorial type of relationship there. But um Yeah, he, he definitely yeah, didn't he want anybody he didn't want anybody looking sad around him. You know, he wants everybody to be joyous, joyful to see him. So that would be sort of an insult for you to you be in the mourning pain, in the presence. You happy. <laughs> right. Well, you know, sackcloth, which is translated sackcloth, although it's not necessarily sackcloth. I think that's just an English word to help us understand it. But this would just be any sort of uncomfortable cloth, goat, camel hair, that sort of thing. Uh, but he doesn't just put it on. He tears his clothes, which we've seen before uh, in elsewhere in the Bible. You know, Jacob tore his clothes in Genesis. Job tore his clothes uh, in Job. You know, so we see this time and again. And they didn't exactly have a lot of clothes back then. So to rend your garments, as we also have heard it said, um, really is just a great sign of just miserableness. And and what is being suggested here, which we talked about yesterday, is really, really significant. It's not just to kill all the Jews, you see. It's this trifold to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate all Jews, young and old, women and children on this particular day. 
So mm-hmm. this is something worth lamenting, and Mordecai is making a show of it. He, I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean he, he's displaying his grief so visibly that it has to be contended with. People will see it, and they will say, what is going on? And as the word gets out, they're starting, they're starting to know. They're starting to know. Mm-hmm. So it becomes even more an affront because now the, it's spreading throughout the empire and among the Jews. Of course, right. So he's he's yeah he's he's protesting the king is what he's doing, and that's not something that the king likes. And we also see yeah. fasting here going on too. And fasting is going to come up again in this section. But even without being told to, we're told that they are fasting and weeping and lamenting. All the other it's not just it's not just Mordecai doing this. It's all these people. Yeah, and you can can talk about contrast in this book how. There's so much feasting and celebration, and now they're fasting. So right. The whole different uh, response. Well, um, anything else about this first few verses before we read some more? Um, no, other than the fact, like, as you said, you know, this, uh, the skate area is about half the size of a football field, so it's a pretty big area. It's not the exact courts, but it's uh, enough to cause an offense. Yeah, okay. So let's read verses 4 through 9. Now, we don't know how much passes in between here, but uh, things do take place. Let's see. When Esther's young woman, young women rather, and her eunuchs came and told her, the queen was deeply distressed. She sent garments to clothe Mordecai so that he might take off his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther called for Hathak one of the king's eunuchs who had been appointed to attend to her, and ordered him to go to Mordecai to learn what this was and why it was. Hathak went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate, and Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the exact sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasuries for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued for Susa for their destruction, that he might show it to Esther and explain it to her and command her to go to the king to beg his favor and plead with him on behalf of her people. And Hathak went and told Esther what Mordecai had said. That's the end of verse 9. We'll stop there. Mm-hmm. Take us through this, right? He, she's sending somebody to try to get Mordecai to change out of those clothes, put on something better. Right, yeah, put on some, don't, don't embarrass me, because <laughs> that's, that's a relative, obviously, and so, um, and, and his influence is, you know, his influence the other ones, and um, she doesn't know exactly, perhaps, uh, what the decree was, maybe she's not aware of what happened exactly, uh, being kind of removed from the culture, um, but she noticed that he's obviously grieved over something, and uh, doesn't want him to, you know, cause offense. So he put some festival clothes on, and um, then he hears about after he hears about the edict, um, and it grieves her exceedingly. Then um, she wants to understand what's going on exactly, and um, so that she doesn't seem to she doesn't seem to know, right? Because she she's the queen, right. but. You know, I mean, she's a she's sort of a, a queen in the sidelines. Queens don't exactly have any power at this time. So even though it's her people, 
she doesn't really know. And of course, nobody would really know her relationship with Mordecai either because she's hiding right. her Jewishness. And, and certainly yeah. Haman knows that Mordecai is a Jew. So that's being hidden, except for Hafak here, who, interestingly enough, I, I'm, I'm assuming is loyal to the queen because either he didn't or didn't care or the king didn't care. But it's not like he runs and tells him, oh, by the way, there's this conflict of interest here. Your queen happens to be a Jew. Uh, we're going to find out later that the king's a pretty forgetful guy, or at least he has so much going on, he doesn't pay attention to a lot of what he what he himself does. But yeah, right. she sends him there, and she says, throw on these clothes, be joyful. I just wonder if she doesn't, either she doesn't understand, right? Because she sends the garments right. before she finds out what's going on. So she just hears that he's sad, and she wants to comfort him. But then she yeah. finds out about the plot. Yeah. Yeah, so she may not even, like you said, heard about it or even imagine this because, as mentioned earlier, uh, Haman had actually saved his life. So why would he make this edict? And um, it, we're not told exactly how much she hid her Jewishness, whether she was eating um, non-kosher foods, whether she was, you know, the whole that mystery there, uh, unlike Daniel and his three friends, um, obviously they were very open about their Jewishness and refused to eat the food. Um, but it's all a mystery that she's remaining hidden as being a Jew. And uh, we're told later on, this will come up later on, I guess I'm kind of just pulling all the fun, but uh, she hasn't seen the king in 30 days, or he, he hasn't asked her presence in 30 days. So she's not even aware of what's going on in the inner, inner chambers of this court. Oh, yeah, that makes that's an important point, right? He hasn't called her. He hasn't talked. And we find that out later. But yeah, he hasn't, she hasn't really even done anything with him. She's just going on doing her queen stuff, I suppose. Yeah. And, yeah. and Mordecai tells her he's in the open square of the city, right? He's at the king's gate, which is on purpose. He can't go in, so he's following the law. But at the same time, he's making a scene. He's certainly protesting visibly. And Mordecai told him, the eunuch, Hathak, uh, to go tell Queen Esther. Everything that had happened and the exact sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasury for the destruction of the Jews. That was part of the reasoning behind why the king gave in to Haman's plan is because he says, I will give you 10,000 talents of silver. Mm -hmm. And this is something we didn't go over, but doing a quick search uh, of 10,000 talents, that would be, in case you were curious— Ten million five hundred and eighty-two thousand one hundred and eighty-eight ounces. <laughs> As a, I like silver. I, I like silver better than gold. So I have a handful of of silver coins and so, stuff like that. Nothing super valuable. In fact, they're less valuable now than when I got them. I'm afraid. But at the current silver spot price, Haman is put in. Two hundred and forty-three million three hundred ninety thousand three hundred twenty-four. Dollars, So I don't know how it really translates over all these years, but it's a ton of money. And it just sure. really emphasizes the ridiculousness of Haman's pride. One dude yeah. doesn't bow down to him, and now he's going to pay $243 million to wipe out everybody who might be genetically related to him. I mean, that's it's now, ridiculous. Where is he getting this money? That's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, when Haman went into office, he wasn't rich, but now suddenly he's rich. But thankfully, we don't yeah. have that problem today. Right, right, <laughs> right. And of course, you know that Judas sold out Jesus for 
30 pieces. So it's like, so it's a, a paltry sum. Oh, it's that, is it? Now, I think there, there's something worth considering there. I mean, I don't think there's an intentional connection, but yeah, let's think about it. You know, we, we have the Haman's pride. He's so, he is very wealthy because he's going to brag about that later, even in this chapter, but he's so wealthy. He's so honored. He just, he's, you know, he's a high roller. He, he rolls with the right people and uh, he can give all this money just just sort of, it's just sort of stupid money is what we might call it. He has so much money that he can just give all that back to the king. And then, of course, uh, Judas uh, betrays the king of kings, the creator of the universe, our savior and lord for just nothing, for nothing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so his ego is even that much more weak. So Mordecai gets the message uh, all the way back to Queen Esther but he, interestingly enough, in verse eight, he gave him that, that is the eunuch a copy of the written decree that they would be mm -hmm. destroyed. So these copies are going everywhere. Everybody knows about this. This isn't a secret plot. Yeah, 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 yeah. So um, and that that's that, that in in kind of that, that old uh, lie. When it's written, you can't change it. What is written is written, and um, there's a. Here's this decree. Yeah. Or if, if else, you do change it, it's public embarrassment. Yeah. So so what else can we pull from this section? We have a few minutes before break, so I don't want to move on just yet. But there's there's a lot here that we can connect to the previous chapters, and we see how, how all of this stuff is kind of coming to fruition. It's just taking root. The queen now knows. Mordecai obviously knows. The people are starting to know. Um, I, I don't know. Do you think that Haman is feeling pretty good about himself now? Uh, at this point, he must feel good about himself until he finds out later on what happens. Because he's got, he's got this decree. He's got the money <laughs> given to the king. And, um, of course, he's, he's got um, Haman under his, you know, his thumb, in a sense, for disrespecting him. So he's, he's, he must be feeling pretty good right now. What else do you see here? Um, well, I think the plot's going to change, of course. we got, we got a bunch of foreshadowing because, um, you know, the copy's being given to Esther. And, uh, you know, he's, he's already telling him, you know, go, go to my niece or or. I guess daughter, cousin, however you want to interpret that. <laughs> As I grew up, it has to be in the niece, but I found out later on this is, this is really his cousin or yeah. his daughter, adopted daughter. And uh, so it to her and uh, go to the king and beg his favor. I mean, this is, this is, and we'll find out later on what he says, of course. You know, that's why God put in this position. Um, well, we, we end sec with verse nine with uh, Hafak went in and told Esther what Mordecai had said. Um, yeah. But as we get ready to head into break, I'll go ahead and read the next uh, two verses, which is, Then Esther spoke to Hathak and commanded him to go to Mordecai and say, All the king's yeah. servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death, except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter, so that he may live. But as for me, I have not been called to come into the king these 30 days. 
So yeah. we end this section really with her telling him, I, I can't go in. That's, that's where we yeah. end this part. Yeah. Yeah. So she's taking a risk that, um, you know, she's not, I guess in the old, <laughs> growing up as a kid, you think, Oh, Queen Esther, she's sitting on this throne with the King and everything like that. No, she's treated almost like a, a, a concubine in a sense, uh, well, to do what the King wants when he wants. And uh, now for 30 days, it looks like she's out of his favor. She's out of favor. Well, why don't we think about that? She hasn't gone into him for a little while. She's really, at this point, hasn't even decided that she will make that bold move because this is the message that she sent to Mordecai. Mordecai is going to give her some encouragement, which is going to give her reason to pause and consider her role in history. And I think all of this speaks to us. What will we do when we are faced with these these very uh, uh, troubling and and sometimes risky decisions? But perhaps God has put us in a place like this. Uh, what do you think, brother? Before we go to the break, yeah, that's that's the loaded question right there. So I, I, I love the fact that we have been called to be. We may not be a king or queen on this earth, but God has called us to royalty. And First uh, Peter two, and for our chosen generation, we are chosen people. So. Um, what has God called us to do at this point for such a time as this? If Esther was a little girl, she would not win the beauty contest. If she was an old woman, she would not win that beauty contest. So uh, at that time, it was just perfect for her. And God's using her in her queenship in this case. All right, folks, we're going to take a break, but when we come back, Pastor Wind and I will dive right back into Chapter 4. We'll see you on the other side. These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help, because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan 316. Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo, and with me today is the Reverend Dr. Vernon Wendt, pastor of Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lexington, Kentucky, and missionary at large in Richmond, Kentucky. Dear listeners, I truly appreciate all the messages that I receive from you about how Thy Strong Word is a part of your daily devotional life. If you have questions or comments or just want to say hello, don't hesitate to reach out to me at pastorboo at gmail.com. Or you can send me a message through Facebook. The best way you can support the show is to invite others to tune in and to listen for themselves. Thy Strong Word can be heard live, online, or over the air, on demand at kfuo.org forward slash thy strong word, or through your favorite podcasting app. 
And as one listener reminded me, don't forget KFU has its own app too. Lots of people find that very valuable. In fact, that's what I use in my truck. I use KFUO's app and goes right through uh, the CarPlay. So it's amazing. So be sure to check out that in the App Store. Well, Pastor went before the break. You know, we were kind of tiptoeing our way through this first section because I really wanted just to lay down the, the scene for everyone. And now Esther has spoken to Hathak uh, and commanded him to go back to Mordecai and she has some concerns because it's against the law for her to go into the king unless he summons her. And she hasn't been there in like 30 days. So mm-hmm. where do you think her anxiety is coming from? She's not really acting much like a queen, is she? <laughs> well, as, as you said, it's been 30 days. And uh, I'll say Xerxes this time. <laughs> Must be easier. Um, he's got a temper. And uh, she doesn't know what. You know, if you don't, if you don't have the king's favor, off with your head. And um, so she's like, "What? You know, you're asking me to do something that's first of all against the law. Second, he, he's not a nice guy, and that's something to deal with. And so there's big pressure on her that she says, you know, hey, but as you see, Mordecai responds back, hey, you're a Jew too.'" And it's interesting the the reverse before he was almost saying, you know, hide yourself of being a Jew. Now he's saying you're, you're a Jew. So yeah, your, your right. life is just in danger as, as ours. So no longer a, can you hide it. Yeah. There's a couple of things I notice here too. You know, we see that uh Hathak, uh, goes back and forth between her and, uh, and Mordecai, of course, um, in verse 12, which we're going to get to, it actually says they told, and we haven't read that yet, but I just wanted to bring out that Esther seems to have a very good way with people. She's able to get these eunuchs to be loyal to her and on her side. I mean, we're only inferring these things, of course, but it's consistent mm-hmm. with what else we see, that this lovely young woman who is really a queen without any power at all, We've seen what uh, King uh, Ahasuerus or Xerxes did to Vashti when she wouldn't perform for him and his drunken guests. So, you know, what we find that she does, and we're going to see this even more in the following chapters, is she plays by the rules. She doesn't, uh, she she isn't raising up an army. She isn't resisting the king like Vashti did. She is playing by the rules, and she's been trained well by Haggai and I'm sure other advisors on how to be queen, which isn't the queen like we think of it. It's more uh, window dressing for the king. But she does have authority and influence in the sense that she has the king's ear. She can, you know, she can win people's favor, and she so she can win the king's favor too. But mm. some time has passed here. And it really kind of seems like maybe the king isn't as interested in Queen Esther anymore or his his interest in her is waning. Uh, and we're going to see that a little bit as we go on. Um, but the one law I wanted to bring up. So the law says that she cannot be called. There is but one law to be put to death except to the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter. Now, this certainly can't mean that people can never come and see the king. Uh, there's a little more nuance to that, I believe, isn't there? Hmm. Yeah, it, I mean, the, the king doesn't want to be bothered with petty concerns. And um, 
some commentators feel also that uh, since he had these concubines, like, <laughs> a little privacy, nobody's going to you know come up I didn't to him and yeah. indiscretion or whatever. So he just wants, you know, I guess we all want to be a king. I don't want to be bothered with all the, all the emails and cell phones these days, but um, he certainly mm-hmm. wants to, you know, when he wants to be spoken to, he can be spoken to when he doesn't want to be bothered, doesn't want to be bothered. Yeah, I mean, he has a lot of stuff he has to manage. Uh, he wants to be, you know, probably not with the unwashed masses. He wants to be set apart from regular people. Um, I bet there are assassination attempts. There are definitely downfalls with being king. Uh, yeah. But yeah. she's going to be, she's going to be bold, but not yet. Right now, it just seems like she's questioning what to do. Um, anything else you want to lay on the table before I read the next and final six verses? Uh Where's the verse where, who knows, is that coming up mm-hmm. for such a time as this? That's coming up. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll wait till you get to those verses. That's, uh, this sounds good, because that is really the theme and key verse of this section, so yeah, uh, yeah, definitely yeah. worth spending some time on. Let's read it. We're going to be in I verse have, 12 I have, I have through good, 17. I, I, as a parish pastor, uh, I'll, I'll have a comment on Rick Warren's uh, purpose-driven life. Oh, okay. My response. So. <laughs> well, we'll see. Well. Uh, well, hopefully the the board operator has got his finger over the seven second uh, delay. If you're going to be talking about him, so all right, well, let's, uh, well, it's a loose response to that book. So. <laughs> Sounds good, brother. Let's go ahead and all right. All right. And they told Mordecai what Esther had said. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, "Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews, for if you will keep silent at this time." Relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa, and hold a fast on my behalf, and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. All right, there we go. We have a couple great, great passages to take apart here. Go ahead. Yeah, well, uh, let me just comment real quick. So after this book came out, and when it came out, and I had people come to my office, pastors, I'm not going to be fulfilled unless I don't know my my purpose. (laughs) And so I said, get out your catechism, turn to the table of duties. And uh, the Bible said, here's your purpose right here. So, um, I mean, we all want to have a great purpose. I'm not, I'm not taking away from that. But it seems like everybody's like wondering what my purpose is when God has already given us clear uh, picture of what our purpose is. And ultimately, to love God and love our neighbor in whatever context we're in. But I just wanted to interject that because that, that verse comes up often. And... Um, I, I do believe that we have a, a purpose, but um, at the same time, I think we have to direct some of our members to the table of duties and say, here's, you know, here's our purpose right here. Rather than searching and uh, being unhappy, I don't find my purpose in life. And so you go to us. Um, also, the, the fact that uh, now she's, you know, there, there's a temptation for all of us to privatize our Christian faith these days. And that's... Um, more than ever, I think, especially in the public realm, when we're being called hate mongers and, and whatnot for 
that's going with the Bible on uh, sexuality and certain uh, teachings that um, society has labeled us as uh, being hateful. <laughs> so we're trying to love our neighbor. And the temptation to be like Esther was, in a, in a sense, you know, like, hey, I'll hide myself, I'll hide my identity. So, and to that point, verse 13 is so poignant, right? You know, yeah. Mordecai told them to tell Esther, don't think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. And there are so many Christians out there that are willing to basically sell their own people into destruction if it means them identifying with the powers that be, if it means them identifying with the wicked ways of the world, if it means abandoning the law and the gospel, if it means taking out parts of the Bible, then they think, well, but that's okay because then others will love me and, and, I'll, and, I'll, and I'll get along. And I think that Mordecai's words here are really important for us too. Don't think yeah. that just because you put yourself or you align yourself with the people in charge, that you'll end up escaping because you won't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, uh, that's what uh, I think Lester Lubigan was a missiologist, and he talked about the privatization of the Christian faith years ago within the four walls of the building. That's the pressure that our society is doing, just like the early church. If they kept, if they just had held Caesar and worshipped in their synagogue or local house, no problem. But once you say that Jesus is Lord, not Caesar, openly and publicly right. off of your head. Well, and we also have, though, in the next verse, though, we have this reality, and I think this is really important and, uh, you know, probably part of what was influencing Esther to understand. You know, there's three different points he's making here. First, you're not going to escape if you do nothing. The second point is if you do nothing, don't worry. God's still going to do something just without you. And then the third point is, well, maybe he would rather use you. So in verse 14, if you will keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. So Mordecai is making it clear that God's will to save his people is not dependent on an individual person. You can choose not to participate, but but you you will be worse off for it. And uh, and then, of course, then, then there's the crux, right? But why not? Right. If you're in that place and God has put you there, then perhaps that's exactly why you're in the position you are in. Yeah, yeah. And the, the faith, uh, you know, obviously this book is notorious for not mentioning God. But I think there's a reason for that. We'll bring it that later on. But, uh, but the hiddenness of God is right there. And the faith of the promised Messiah that was going to be born to the Jews is right there, too. God's going to deliver us. Because one day the Messiah is going to be born through the Jews. So we're not going to be annihilated. Well, absolutely, right. Confidence there. Yeah, and, and, and just we, we have this beautiful testimony of both Mordecai in mourning, and this is the contrast that I think it's hard to see unless we really think about the text. Mordecai is telling Esther, do something. He loves her, mm -hmm. right? As as a has a daughter, but you know, also as a relative. Yeah. Do something. I you won't escape punishment just because you think that you're you know queen. And then also he's also showing faith in God 
And you're right. God's not explicitly mentioned, although it's it, it does nothing but talk about God's providence through the whole thing. But, right. but look, you, God's going to rescue us. So he's at the same time wearing sackcloth and ashes while also knowing through his faith in God that things will turn out, that the people will be redeemed. And that's mm-hmm. an interesting position because there are those in Christianity who would say, well, to be a Christian means you always have to be happy with everything, and that's not true. And then there right. are people who say, well, if you look at the world, then you have to be miserable all the time because look at what a cesspool the world is, as if it's any worse than it really ever has been. So, no, right. we sort of are in this in-between time where, yes, there are times where we wear sackcloth and ashes, where we stand outside the king's gate and we cry and we lament and we weep and mourn and, and, and call for action. But when we're doing yeah. that, we also know that God hears our prayers, and God will act, even if he doesn't act through the people that we're appealing to. Right, right. It's just strong, strong faith. And that, that, that's where our faith comes in in the midst of all the mysteries of just God's love for us in Jesus Christ. And that's really, um, you, know, you, know, you know, even though God's not mentioned, of course, in Master, uh, we find an example of that even with, with Jacob you know, in uh, Haran, where he's got his dream. And he didn't know God was with him. And I think that's really what comes through in Esther, that God is certainly with his people. Now, there's there's a little bit of contention when it comes to his first reply, though. Do not think to yourself um, that in the king's palace you'll escape any more than all the other Jews, um, because if you if you keep silent, then you and your father's house will perish. Now, is that just a message? And I'd like to hear your opinion on it. Is that just a message of... You know, if you don't do anything, then by the time help comes, you and your your father's house, so to speak, or you and your people around you will be because she's an she's an orphan after all, but you will be destroyed. Right. Or mm-hmm. is it a message of divine retribution saying, you know, it's not enough just to not do something wrong, but to also it's also sinful to not respond when called upon or to be apathetic. So it's a sin of not just commission, but there are also sins of omission. Uh, do you take a stance on that, or do you see both yeah, of those I, being I a possibility? See, no, I, I see it uh, as a, a loving, you know, adopted daughter of his. He's he knows Esther is charming and cute and everything like that, but at all the time, he gives the words to her that. I don't think that you can just hide away. It's, it's going to happen. You know, so it's, I think that our temptation, sometimes we, we, we love the gospel, but sometimes the laws need to be said too. In this case, um, she needs to hear the law because she's, she's dancing around still a little bit. Um, you know, if I go to the king, I'm gonna, I might perish. And, you know, so I'm you know, kind of saying no. And then he's saying, this is, this is serious. This is your time. Don't miss it. I love how she changes her. I was gonna say I love how she changes her position though once her mind is made up because this yeah. this message uh, really resonates with her because in verse fifteen she gets the message she hears these this threefold argument from Mordecai and it says then Esther told them so that's again these multiple servants who she's brought into her trust told them to reply to Mordecai, and now instead of just sort of appealing to Mordecai as her father figure, she's kind of 
standing up with her, you know, big girl pants on. Now she's, uh, you know, okay, I, I can do something. And she actually orders something. She says, go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa, which is that capital, that citadel, and hold a fast on my behalf. Now, they're already fasting, but now hold a fast on my behalf. And then she explains, don't eat or drink for three days, and we'll do the same thing. But we mentioned how God's not mentioned. What's the point of a fast if they're not appealing and praying to God on her behalf? Yeah, that's the point. That's the whole reason for the fast, is to um, be in line with God's will and uh, be repentant at the same time and, and sorrowful, and the whole thing's going on. So it, it, I'm not going to fast for three days without water and food if I am not believing that there's a God. There's no, there's no point. Right, she's not. She's not like, oh, just send me good vibes. Right, that's the kind of language people use today. Right. You know, I need your your thoughts. I need your thoughts. Your thoughts will help me. Uh, no, right. thoughts, vibes, whatever people like to send, um, is not prayer because prayer, of course, only has power in that God acts upon prayer. We, the power of prayer, is such a weird misnomer. But when we yeah. pray, God he promises to hear our prayers, and he does respond to them. Um, but yeah, yeah, so yeah, this is all about prayer and all about God. It, you mentioned earlier that you know this is famously a book that is known for not mentioning God explicitly, but it's probably also one of the most uh, God-filled books of the Bible, if you can say so, because it's following that rule of, of show it, not say it. So we see God active throughout Esther— and not in explicit ways. He's not coming down from heaven. He's not shaking the thresholds. He's not sending plagues. But he's there. He's bringing all these people together. He's making all these things, which we might call coincidence, but they're not. They're, they're providence. He's making all these things. He put Esther here, not by a bunch of happenstances, but on purpose, so that this she'll be in the right place at the right time. Yeah. And that, that's um, kind of, you know, the, the whole beauty of Esther, of course, is, is God is there and he's God is with you and me and our mysterious wares and wise. And that, that confidence that he's not going to leave us, forsake us. And, of course, as Christians, we have the word and the sacraments to look to uh, as evidence of God's love for us in Jesus Christ, the gospel message. And um I do believe that the, there was a deep faith in the Palm of Messiah by uh, Mordecai and the other Jews as well. They were looking forward to the Messiah coming, and, and it was a very dark time in, in Persia. And, you know, the prophets were being hidden as well, and that whole Esther meaning is another thing to talk about. If you talked about that earlier, um, it was kind of a, a Hebrew root word of conceal. And, and some say it's based on star, you know, and, and other things like that. Um, but the, what's the Ishtar is the goddess of love. And so you can, you can hold different uh, etymology of the word Esther. Uh, and, of course, Purim, which we'll probably get in later on, is just a, a, a wonderful feast. If you ever done part of a Purim feast, I, I was in a um, Messianic uh, church in Beverly Hills, Mount Calvary, and uh, there's a Messianic church there, too. And we just, it was a fun festival. And it's something that we can rejoice in the midst of all our sorrows and pains and living in a sinful world. Um, we can still rejoice and, and laugh at the devil. Yeah, we won't be talking about 
streaming for quite a while, actually. We're probably about six episodes away from that. But absolutely, you're right. I, you know, one thing that is fascinating is as I'm reading the book for, you know, I've read Esther before, and I've mentioned this in previous episodes. I read Esther before, and if you're just reading it to check it off your read list and you're just kind of barreling through it, you miss so much. And so I was really delighted to just slowly take it, read it as a first-time reader for the purposes of this episode, really put these connections together. Well, as you read it, though, you kind of come – or at least I did. I should say just speak for me. I kind of came to the conclusion of why is this book named Esther? You know, why is it not named Mordecai? He seems to be the key character. Well, really, Haman seems to be one of the key characters, right? Mordecai is the protagonist, and Haman is the antagonist. King Ahasuerus is a background character, and it really seems like Esther is his background character, and I'm talking about as you're reading it. But then when you get to the end of our chapter today, there is this shift that happens where then Esther, at at Mordecai's uh, encouragement, takes charge. She finally takes charge. She She swallows up whatever apprehension or fears that she has, and she takes the lead in saving her people. And we know that because she says at the uh, second half of verse 16, uh, then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. So she's going uninvited, really bad no-no. And he could just say, oh, I don't have time for you and kill her. And he could, and he and he, he sent away Vashti. Why not send away uh, Esther? But she Great. knows even though she might die, she says, if I perish I will perish. Or the Hebrew really is like, if I'm destroyed, then I'll be destroyed, just like the other Jews. Now, he still doesn't know she's she's Jewish. That's just because of that. And then it says Mordecai went away and did everything that Esther had ordered him. He's he's handed off the baton, the fatherly baton. His, his daughter's grown up. She's taking charge. And so we see this transfer of power, so to speak. But she really does. Right. She says, if I perish, I perish. But that's not like she's accepting a foregone conclusion. Um, she's just she's just saying that she'll accept the consequences, but she's still going to do things um, within the system, so to speak. She's going to the king, and she hopes that he will receive her. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, I, love, I love how that, that just turns on a dime, that last verse in 17. Well, now, Mordecai, okay, now you're acting like a queen. You know, that's, right. this is what God raised you up to be. And I'm going to, you know, quietly, you know, quickly obey her before he's giving, almost giving orders to her um, as his daughter and uh, cousin, not her cousin. And um, now, okay, now she's the queen. Now she's really acting like the queen. And I'm going to follow her. Yeah, I mean, it really does. I like you, you pointed out perfectly because it goes from, oh, send him a message that I, I'm not allowed to see him. I haven't even been able to see him for 30 days to, well, if he kills me, he kills me. I'm going to go talk to him. I mean, it's just great. It's great. It shows us a yeah. personality yeah. in Esther, too. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just uh, um, yeah, that, that kind of a, the, the office that uh, we have perhaps as pastors as well. We're, we're, we're friends and we're members of the church and yet family members, but sometimes we have the authority also to say, you know, thus says the Lord, and we're, we're administering the sacraments, and that's, um, um, it's not because of who we are, it's the office. Uh, so, you know, she's saying that to Esther here, you know, you have the office of the queen now, now you're acting like it. I don't care if I'm your older 
you know, stepfather or older cousin, I'm okay. You're God's authority. You're, you're the queen. Well, brother, we just have a few minutes left in the program, but I'm going to give those minutes to you. Uh, You know, give us some uh, final conclusions on what we can take away from this section, maybe uh, tease what we'll be finding in the next section. Really, they're all yours, whatever you want to get across. Okay, thank you. Yeah, (laughs) lots of things to think about, but uh, I think we've covered a lot of them. Just like God's um, sovereignty is a, a huge thing in lots of people's lives. And I love the fact, as you mentioned, the emotion that we can pour out our heart to God with. Um, in a psalm. There was a great article, I can't remember who wrote it recently in in our CTQ about the predatory sons. And uh, the pastor at one time, I guess one of his members lost a couple of sons. And he said, don't be mad at God, don't be mad at God. Then it dawned on him, who else can be mad at? This is God's sovereignty and and he's big enough. And when we're praying in the psalms, we're praying God's word just like Jesus in the cross. Oh my God, my God, why is he forsaking me? And so going to God with his word, going to God with the emotions in his word and the Psalms is such a tremendous blessing that God has given us. He's not offended by our pouring out and questioning and asking. Um, the worst thing at all is we had no, no relationship at all. When we're not being asked to go to, go to like, like Esther, for 30 days, I, I've not been to the throne of God. Um, God's saying, that's kind of my throne anytime. Any place, and I have a we have a high priest who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses, and we can pour out our heart to him, we can pour out our joys to him. It's just it's overwhelming sometimes you think about it. And, and yes, it's hidden right now. And somebody said the first words we get in heaven will be, "Oh, well, now I get it, now I understand." But in the meantime, you know, sometimes the kingdom of God is hidden under that cross, and uh, that's. All we go with, God loves me so much that He sent us and to die for me. And I, I can trust my life, my all my days in His hands because I know how much He loves me. The difference between, uh, and I don't want to bash anybody, but I think Luther starts with a cross, whereas uh, Calvin starts with sovereignty. Mm-hmm. And you've got to start with a cross. And then knowing that, then I can trust God's sovereignty. Amen to that, brother. Right. Yeah, so I think that's where well, it really comes out in this story. The, the, the idea that they were hoping for the promised Messiah, and so they could put their trust in God. In spite of his hiddenness. Despite of his hiddenness, right? Because that's that's real life. He's not always yeah. <laughs> sending, you know, clouds of fi- pillars of cloud and pillars of fire. You know, sometimes right. it's behind the scenes. Yeah. Well, I, yeah. that does bring us to the end of our hour. I'd like to thank my guest this morning, the Reverend oh, Dr. Rev, uh, Vernon Wint, pastor of Good yeah, Shepherd Lutheran Church. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was just trying to get your information out there, brother. You're pastor yeah. of Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lexington, yeah. Kentucky, and missionary at large in Richmond, Kentucky. Brother, thank I really you. do appreciate you being on the I show. Love you. Yeah. Thanks. Mattered. Thanks. Dear Saints, tune in tomorrow as we turn the page in Ruth chapter 5. It's in this chapter that we learn that Esther plans on throwing a feast for the king and Haman. Haman is honored, of course, and goes home to boast of his rank and privilege to his wife and friends. But still, his pride is injured by Mordecai's refusal to fear and honor him, so he plans to execute him. Will things turn out right for Haman? For Mordecai? Well, tune in tomorrow. We'll find out. 
Until then, actually not tomorrow, till, uh, tune in. No, yes, it's tomorrow. <laughs> Sorry, folks. Until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray. Father, keep us in thy strong word. <laughs>